Um, if you have a Bible with you, could I ask you please to turn to the book of Joel? We're going to be reading from chapter 2 in a moment. And as we get ready to read together, I feel in some senses what we're about to hear this morning, and I say this with all humility, might be something that really is a priority for us in the days that lie ahead. It's so easy in gatherings like this just to come and experience something, and that is great. But actually, I believe God wants to do something more than that. He wants to infect our lives in such a way that whatever environments we're in, he starts to turn up. Hope begins to be restored. Lives begin to be transformed. And so it's not enough for us anymore just to have great gatherings. We must have exceptional scatterings. As God's people is ordinary and often broken and sometimes very needy, Families start to step out into the world in which he's placed them. All manner of things are about to happen. And I believe that we're being postured and positioned by the Holy Spirit to be effectual in our workplaces, in our homes, our communities, and our educational establishments. So let me just read this to you, and then I'm going to share some thoughts on that if I can. In Joel chapter 2, we find ourselves picking up the story in, in a moment in the history of Israel where things were very, very difficult and how many of us recognize that that's kind of where we are in our historical experience here in the United Kingdom? Things are very, very difficult. All kinds of things are happening. Many things are, are quite unusual. And before we know where we are, we can often be paralyzed in a moment like that. But actually, I feel there's some invitation from the Spirit to be energized and to be energized in two particular ways. Let's read it together. Joel chapter 2 says, Let the priests who minister before the Lord Weep between the portico or the porch and the altar. We'll read it again. It's a small scripture, but it has a huge amount of weight for us in this current reality. It says, let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico or the porch and the altar. So we have two direct implications and effectual places where the weeping actually has value. The first one is in the presence of the Lord. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep. Now this weeping is a weeping of a realization of the brokenness and the need and the circumstances that surround the story. And if there was ever a time when we needed to come to God and ask him to touch our hearts with compassion for our na nations, it's now. We need to be in his presence surrounded by his glory, feasting on his goodness, being conditioned by the reality of heaven here on earth, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to carry his compassionate heart, carry it to the core of our being, because without it, we will just be praying all kinds of things and doing all kinds of activities that don't amount to much. And we are invited in this season, and I believe this is an invitation, to come into the presence of God. That's why Wednesday nights are important to us. That's why all prayer initiatives, anything that can get us to connect with His presence, with praise and adoration and declaration, we start to become the kind of people that can start a heavenly revolution here on earth. We will never see the world change until we change. In many ways, we need to pay attention to that. And so God is in a, a glorious way inviting us to weep before him in prayer and intercession. I believe those prayers can be prayers of delight. Have you ever wept with delight? You know, God is incredibly beautiful. And often I find when I sense his presence move on my life, I'm not crying because I'm in a place of repentance or remorse. There are times like that. But the vast majority of times I'm crying because he is just so breathtaking. He is just so incredible. I find myself completely caught up in his goodness and his majesty and his beauty and his glory. And I'm undone by that. 
I find myself weeping, not prayers out of beating my chest, oh God, come and do something, but prayers that say, God, here I am, do something in me. You who are so perfect, come and abide in my imperfection. You who are so beautiful, come and reside in my brokenness. And church, we're invited in this hour to come into his presence and to seek his heart, to know his mind, to establish ourselves in relationship with him at deeper and most glorious levels than we've ever encountered before. And without this first place, the place of the priest coming before the presence of the Lord, we will never see the outworkings of what we believe can happen in our time. And that is simply that this is as we go to the altar. As we come away from his presence and go back to our workplace, go back to our family, that the power of God, the prophecy is this, that the power of God will come and visit people, that lives will be transformed, hearts will be renewed, marriages restored, children will be fixed. God will do all kinds of wonderful things. But the the precursor to all that we want to see is an outpouring of the Spirit is found in his presence. It's found in the goodness of God. We need our lives to be marinated and saturated in the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God if we're to be effectual in the places that we work and the places that we live. And why is that important? Because we've been hearing for some time now that the Spirit of God is wanting to move afresh in the nation. And I believe that one of the precursors to that will be God's people coming to a place of alignment and indeed what will seem like a confinement, but actually it'll be our assignment to governmentally speak life over communities. We will catch his heart and know his mind and be able to operate with confidence and conviction that he is doing what he promised he will do and we're partnering with him to see it come to pass. So this next move of God that we're hearing about and the prophets are speaking about and some of us are sensing is not a movement in the church. It's not going to be another big gathering of the saints. It might well look like that, but actually it's more this. It's a movement of the church. Ordinary people with ordinary lives turning up in society and bringing life and healing and restoration to every part of it. If you have a Bible, would you quickly turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 12. Paul picks up this theme in Romans chapter 12. In verse 1, he uses some terminology. I just want to highlight some things to you. In We haven't got too long this morning to, to get through this, so I'll do the best I can. Please forgive me if we go over a minute or two. No one's going to leave, are they, over that? You're not sure. You haven't made your mind up yet. Okay. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is Paul speaking to the church in Rome and he's, he's pleading with them and he's, he's kind of urging them to think a little bit about what's going on around them. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul is saying, look around you. Remind yourself of what's happened. Take a little look at the reality that's now your position in Christ as a result of all that he has done for you. In view of all that Christ has established in you, in view of all that you've discovered about him, because you have a a new reality here amongst the people of earth, start to look and see and be and live differently. In view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, give yourself to him fully. So can I just pause for a moment and ask the question, how are we doing with that? You see, God is so good to us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our lives. 
We have been given the most incredible gift that heaven could ever offer, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's come to live in our lives. He has given his life so we would give our lives and he's come to abide in us. This is not, this is not something that is too vast for us to grasp because our lives are demonstrations of the change that Christ coming to us has indeed realized. And Paul is saying, in view of all that Christ has done for you, in view of the cross, in view of the resurrection, in view of the miracles, in view of the ascension, in view of the fact that he's coming again, this is how you should respond. Give up your life. Give up your life to him. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This and this alone is what's holy. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle to give up my life. Is there anybody like me with that problem? I struggle to give up my life. I struggle to give up my rights. I have a trinity that sometimes becomes very visible in me. It's the trinity of me, myself, and I. Have you got a similar problem? I'm wondering how this affects me. What if I don't get what I want? What if I'm not loved the way I need to be loved? And one of the byproducts of a life that's been broken and separated from God is I am a little self-absorbed. I know you don't struggle with the problem, but this is cathartic for me. Let me share my problem. I view the world very much from my own agenda. I have a perspective on life where things that happen to me and happen around me, I'm invested in because I want to make sure I'm okay in it. I'm bothered about a lot of things, but more than that, I'm bothered about me. Me, myself, and I. The Trinity that has presented itself over and over again in times of hardship and difficulty, when God has asked me to do something, what about me, God? Why don't you go and pray for that lady over there, Simon, who needs a miracle? God, I, fe I feel embarrassed. Why don't you give all your money to the woman down the road who hasn't got food on her table? Oh God, but what about me? I'm down to my last million. <laughs> if only that were true. <laughs> One of the major things that needs to happen for all of us is that we give up and give our lives to him. He needs to become our Lord not just somebody who gives advice when we occasionally ask him, but somebody whose word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We need to stop arguing with God in 2019. Stop striving with him over the issues of our heart and life. Do you know that he knows the end before the beginning and everything thereof? Do you know that every day that you have on this earth has been established by him? There's no need to fight with him. He's good. And everything he invites you to will be good for you. Even if at first it slightly feels uncomfortable, you will eventually see the value of the wisdom of God. I find myself consistently dialoguing with God and it's not necessarily prayer and intercession. It's, it's arguing and fighting. Anybody like me? Do you ever do the what-ifs with God? <laughs> what if she gets away with it? 
It's none of your business, Simon. (laughs) But God, you're very slow to sort it out. That's also none of your business, Simon. God, how can you allow that? That's none of your business, Simon. I spent most of my internal life and conversation with God, fighting with him over things that happen in and around my life. It's time to die. It's time to cave in. It's time to give up and let him be Lord. Let him lead the life in me that he desires for me. He's going to take me to places I couldn't get to by human logic or reason. I think one of the reasons we don't let God guide and lead us or he's not our first place to go to when we're seeking direction in our lives is because we actually don't think he's that bright. People think that God is kind and he's nice. But actually God is the most intelligent person you or I will ever have a conversation with. Have a look around you. There's some impressive people here this morning. Well, maybe. And with all our degrees and qualifications and expertise, there is not a person in this room, not one single person, not even all of us collectively have the capacity and the intelligence of God. He knows everything about everything. And I know this about some things. So it seems ludicrous to me that I keep fighting with him. I keep protesting. I keep arguing when he's simply the smartest person in every conversation I've had with him. And he has an answer that will always bring and lead me to life. Recently, a relative of ours who's struggling quite severely with the last stages of a cancer actually called us one day and we were praying with her on the phone and chatting to her about what was happening in her life. And um, she mentioned to us, Jane and I, that she had been taking this morphine drug that was given to her and prescribed by the doctors and the specialists to prevent her from being in pain. But she had a discomfort in her stomach and she didn't know if she was allergic to this particular medication. And so we were praying with her on the phone and I felt the Holy Spirit say to us, you know, tell her to stop taking the morphine, which seems counterintuitive. And I I struggled with it a little bit because I didn't want to create more problems for this lady. I care about her very much. But actually, about two or three times in the conversation, I felt that that's what the Holy Spirit was inviting us to do. And so I said to to Jane, can I speak to her? And I spoke to her. I said, I think you should come off the, the, the morphine medication that you're given currently. And she said to me, you know, I was thinking the same thing, Simon. She's a believer. In fact, I felt quite uneasy about the fact that they kept trying to give me more and more of it. Because I I feel there's a problem that the morphine is not really making visible. Because the morphine will dull the pain. It will, you know, she had an infection on the inside that could have been fatal. And because she kept saying to people, there's something not right about this. People said, just take more morphine. When you ask God a question, he's not giving you advice, he's giving you direction. It's not a multiple choice opportunity. And because she was obedient to what she actually believed and what we sensed was the will of God, suddenly it became apparent to the doctors that there was another problem that actually could have been worse for her than the problem that they were trying to resolve. Now, I'm not suggesting you come off your medication. Please don't think that. This is all about leaning into and relying on the voice of God. God knows everything about everything. He's simply the brightest person here today. 
And we always arrive at a conversation with him somewhere down the list. So we'll talk to this person or that situation. or We have to become the kind of people who by spending time in his presence actually trust his voice, trust his leadership. If he sent Jesus Christ to die for you, he's not going to bring you to a place where he's going to abandon you. We need to give up our rights, give away our hearts and offer him our minds. We need to come before the altar of the Lord in humility and submission and say, God, be God for me today. We need to live in reliance and dependence. We need to stop fighting and arguing with him. And we need to trust that God who began a good thing in us will carry it on until it's completed. And actually, I'm not on my own trying to figure it all out and being led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God into the places of blessing that he indeed has planned in advance for me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy in 2019, give up your lives to him. Make them holy and pleasing in his sight. And look what happens as a result of that. As we come to the place of submission and surrender, as we come before the altar of the Lord, something begins to translate from heaven to earth and we're invited to a different reality. Look at verse 2 of Romans 12. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, that's not an invitation to resist evil. It's an invitation to reveal good. And when you reveal good, you automatically resist evil. When we are led by God and and guided by His Spirit into the places and the situations where we ask the questions, hear the answers, move in obedience towards that which He has invited us to, evil has to go because good has turned up. This is not about self-discipline. This is about delighting in the Lord and allowing Him to guide and lead your life. And without Him, we'll simply become conformists. Without the reality of his presence, without the power of his spirit, we'll simply become conformists. And you know, it's not rocket science to know that some of the biggest problems we're facing in the church today is because we're actually not that different than the people who step outside of these buildings and don't believe in Jesus at all. For us to be utterly transformed, we need to be transformed by the power of his spirit. And the invitation is that through that reality, we can start to transform the world. The biggest tragedy in the church is that we've conformed. We've tried so hard to be relevant. We've sought so much to be seeker-friendly, and I'm not against any of those things. They're all valuable thought processes, and I've been involved in all of them, but actually, what I need to be is authentically His, unreservedly given over, fundamentally filled with His Spirit, clear in my mind about what is or isn't true, separated from among people who have a befuddled thought process to a place of clarity and certainty, that I know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, so that when I walk into the world in which he's placed me, I am not conforming. I go with the power to transform. I go with the unction of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in every environment. And how does it 
change? Well, it changes clearly from the scripture as we begin to catch the mind of God and understand and fathom the depths and the beauty and the glories of his thoughts. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So our minds are in alignment. Our lives are in alignment. And look what it says happens when that becomes a reality for us. Then you will be able to put to the test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Twenty nineteen offers us an opportunity to live differently. God is inviting us to come spend time in his presence, to delight in who he is, so that we may discover who we are. And as we step out of the environment of his presence, we carry his presence with us into the marketplace of life. People who are not conformist because they've been transformed by the realities of God. Their mind is renewed, it's sharp, it's energized, it's focused and it's clear on what is and what isn't right. Not that we just avoid sin, but that we reveal him. Our minds are engaged in the plan of God that I walk into every room and I hear this all the time in church. I ask people, what is God up to? They say, I don't know, but the devil is up to this. Why do you know more what the devil is doing in your life than you know what God is doing in your life? There's no medals for guessing where your attention is. A number of years ago, I was pastoring a church in Glasgow. I'm talking about a renewed mind. And we invited a team of people from the Bethel Church in California to come over and teach us how to do prophetic evangelism, to go out onto the streets of the city and to speak life over people. We wanted so desperately not to be conformists. We wanted to be transformists. We wanted to know him and make him known. Our heart has always been for that. That's my calling here on earth. I sit very uneasy in the role that God gives me because I believe that I'm called into his presence, but I'm also called out of the church to other people. And so we went out onto the streets and there was about 15 to 20 of these young people and they were the happiest people I've ever met. It seems to me that America does something we don't do very well. And there was one young man, his name was Nathan. He was about 17 or 18. And of all the team that were there, he really irritated me the most. He was always happy, always joyous, always expectant. And in my opinion back then, completely bonkers. It seemed to me that every time he saw somebody who had a problem with their leg, even an ingrown toenail, anything where somebody limped or hobbled in any way, he was on it like a bonnet. He would just go towards these people and start praying for them. So I'd seen him do this a couple of times in the church and it was a little embarrassing at times. But you know, his mind had been trained in a way that my mind hadn't been trained. And so we now go outside the church. We're in Sucky Hall Street in the center of Glasgow. And I'm trying to do what most pastors do, which is keep everybody safe. Do you know how crazy that is? And of course, I can see out of the corner of my eye that Nathan is getting a little bit excited And I think, please, Jesus, please. I imagined all kinds of emails coming my way. You know, what is this crazy American man going to say to these people? And if you've ever been to Glasgow, it's a raw city, you know. People do greet each other with a kiss, but it's not from the lips. It's from the forehead. It's called the Glasgow kiss. 
And I had imagined that he'd have a split nose and all kinds of things would happen in his great enthusiasm and joy in the Lord. But actually, I saw out of the corner of my eye, quite high up on Sucky Hall Street, a man in a wheelchair. And I thought, oh, Jesus, no, not a wheelchair. Not a wheelchair. Please, God, no. And before I could even move, he's running up the street to meet him. He'd spotted his opportunity and he was running and he was young and fit and he's running. I'm trying to follow him, thinking, how can I damage, how can I limit the damage here? <laughs> I was rehearsing my apology in my head. <laughs> I'm so sorry, he's American. <laughs> Americans are full of joy. Daswegians, maybe not so. <laughs> And I couldn't get to him in time and he got to the man and I could see this expression on this man's face as this young man was bending over in front of him talking to him and it didn't look like he was happy. Whatever joy was in Nathan, it wasn't spreading. I can tell you that for sure. And before I could even catch my breath, Nathan was pulling him out of the wheelchair. Now, I don't know about you, if in a moment like that, I'm asking a hundred questions. In fact, I was very tempted to just turn around and walk away. But I thought, no, I have a responsibility here. So I went towards him. As I got to the man, he was crying. But by then he was standing. You see, what I didn't know and what didn't really come across in this was what had happened to Nathan himself boy of 14 or 15 out shopping with his mother one day in Walmart. And one of the teams from the Bethel Church came and they felt prophetically that God had given a word. They asked to use the Tanah, you know, that one that says aisle number whatever. And they'd said, come to aisle number 13. There's a young man here. You're about 14 or 15. You've never walked in your life. And Nathan went to aisle 13 and God healed him instantly of paralysis. Instantly. So you can imagine how he felt regarding people who had disability in that way. Because his mind had been renewed. I saw problems, he saw promises. I saw difficulties, he was full of delight. He had a transformed mind regarding that particular issue. Church, I believe that it's possible for us in 2019 to live between the altar and the porch to have the most incredible intimate relationship with God, where we're saturated, marinated in His goodness, and to step back out onto the public platform that we live in and bring life and hope and truth and peace and God's power and glory into every situation we face. But it's going to cause us, we're going to need to have to see it slightly differently. You see, when I don't pray for the sick and I'm led by the Spirit to do so, I'm conforming to the pattern of this world. When I don't say something, when injustice crops up before me, I'm conforming to the pattern of this world. When I walk past somebody who's got nothing and I've got a pocket full of something, I'm conforming to the pattern of this world. When I don't reach out to somebody who's broken because I'm frightened of my reputation, I'm conforming to the pattern of this world. What I need, what we need, what all of us really need is to get a mindset that's so vastly different. Woo! 
God has trusted you and me with an assignment. It's found in his presence. It's fashioned in our lives and it flourishes in the marketplace. There are more miracles happening outside the church than there are inside the church. Because the move of the Spirit that we're all starting to crave for, desire and want is not a move of God on the church. It's a move of God through the church.